All right, turn to Proverbs 4 with me. Proverbs 4. Great chapter. Just kind of a heads up where we're headed. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about a lifetime of wisdom. Next week we're going to talk about wisdom and marriage. We're going to cover several chapters next week and look at what the Bible says about that. So be here for that. Invite somebody to come with you. Tonight I want to talk to you about a lifetime of uh, wisdom. You know, God is, is not interested in us being shooting stars. You know what a shooting star is, right? It, it shines brightly for a few moments and then it fades away. That's not what God wants from us in our Christian uh, lives. When, when the Lord defines the Christian life over in Hebrews chapter 12, He defines it not as a sprint, He defines it as a race that you are to run with endurance, more of a, a marathon, that we're in this thing for the long haul. So, if God wants us to be consistent Christians, living lives that glorify Him, not just when we start following Christ, but until we go home to be with Him, if God really wants us to finish well and exemplify His wisdom in our lives, then we've got to learn to live wisdom out not just for a day or a week or a month or a year. We've got to learn how to accumulate wisdom and live it out for a lifetime. How to experience a lifetime of wisdom. So I've got three or four ways that you live a lifetime of wisdom. So you can be a, a bright shining star fixed in the constellations. Not a shooting star, but one that is there letting its light shine uh, consistently in the darkness. So let me give you these four things about how you experience a lifetime of wisdom. First of all, you start the journey. You start the journey. I mean, you've got to start somewhere, right? You've got to start somewhere. And in this text, we see uh, Solomon talking about where the journey of wisdom begins, where it all uh, starts. Look what the Bible says in verse 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not... Abandoned my instruction when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Let my, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. So how do you experience a lifetime of wisdom? First of all, you start the journey. There's a starting place for a lifetime of wisdom because wisdom, listen, does not come naturally. You're not just in your own natural self going to be wise. Wisdom is supernatural. Remember we said that you acquire wisdom from God, that God is the source of wisdom. And so if you're going to live a lifetime of wisdom, you've got to have a starting place. Let me give you three thoughts about this starting place. First of all, we need to establish traditions of wisdom. We need to establish traditions of wisdom. The, the, the primary locus for wisdom from God's perspective is the home. That's where he wants wisdom primarily to be passed on. Look what the Bible says in verse 1. Hear, O son, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. So he's saying, saying, son, listen to what your dad's saying. And then look what he says in verse 3. 
when I was the son to my father. So now he's mentioning his son's grandfather. When I was the son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I'm passing on to you what was passed on to me. Who was Solomon's father? David. I'm passing on to you the teachings of my father, David. And, and Solomon was pointing to this, this tradition of wisdom that was established and being passed on. I'm telling you, there is there's power. There's power when we begin to pass on the wisdom of God throughout generations. There is, there is um, real power in that. Because, listen to me, we're going to pass on something to our kids and grandkids. Right? We're going to pass on something to them. Let it be the wisdom of God, the, the, the perspective of God on life and living. Let it be the right stuff. We need to establish traditions of wisdom. And so, listen, keep the long view in mind. Parents, you're not just passing on wisdom to your kid. You're, you want to teach them to the point where they can pass it on to their kid. You're not just worried about your kids. You're worried about your grandkids and your great-grandkids. We need to establish traditions of wisdom. That means that we've got to talk to our kids about things that really matter. Morality, truth, integrity, work ethic, God's word, you know, those things, purpose, meaning, uh, direction in life. We've we got to talk about things that matter so we can pass on the wisdom of God. So we need to establish traditions of wisdom. There's power in that. Secondly, we need to begin to pass on these traditions to our children at a young age. Look in verse 3. When I was a son to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. And so Solomon's saying, when my heart was tender, that's when God was teach, or that's when my father was teaching me the things of God. Now there's some really interesting statistics that we're seeing about children about their worldview, their, the way they look at life, their values. And what we're seeing in today's culture is our children's worldview is pretty much set by 11 or 12. What they value, how they make decisions, what they see as truth, what the, who they're going to listen to, that's pretty much set by the time they're 11 or 12. And so we've got to help them form that worldview at an early age while they are tender. Uh, we, we begin to pass on these things to them. So we need to begin to pass on these traditions to our children at a young age. And then third, every individual has to make a decision concerning the wise life. Every individual has to make a decision concerning the wise life. Look in verse 5. The, Solomon is saying to his son, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is, here's the starting place, acquire wisdom. The beginning of a, a lifetime of, of wisdom is a desire to have God's wisdom. That's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, it's kind of intuitive, is it not? The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Now, here's what that means. It means that parents and grandparents pass on wisdom to their children, but there comes a time in every young person's life where they have to take personal ownership. And they have to decide, okay, I'm going to take hold of what mom and dad have been teaching me, and grandma and grandpa have been teaching me, or I'm going to go my own direction in life. We can't, we can't make that decision for our kids no matter how bad we want to, right? 
We want to. We can't. They've got to, at some point, take ownership for their faith and ownership for their worldview and ownership for, uh, for wisdom, whether they're going to acquire it or turn their back to it. Every individual has to make a decision concerning the wise life. I like what Warren Wiersbe writes. Parents and grandparents can teach us, but only we can receive the word into our hearts, cherish it, and pay the price to obey it. When you receive God's truth into your heart, God renews your mind, Romans 12, 2, and enables you to think wisely. This helps you make right decisions and experience the guidance of God day by day. So when someone says, okay, I want God's wisdom. I want to live the way God tells me to live. I'm going to acquire his way. I want to live his way. When you do that, God begins to renew your mind and help you to make the right decisions in life. But everyone has to make that decision. So you got to start the journey. you got to come to a place where you say, I'm not smart enough to do life on my own. I'm not wise enough to live a life that glorifies God. I, I need God's help. I'm going to be a godly spouse, a godly parent, a godly co-worker. If I'm going to make a difference in society. I need God's wisdom. And when someone gets to that point and they begin to acquire it, the Bible says in verse 7, with all their acquiring, they get understanding. They begin to get what they need to live a wise life. So number one, you've got to start the journey. You know, what, you know something that's really, really sad? is when you see somebody that's 25, 30, 35 years old, and they never begin the journey of wisdom, and they're living just a, a fool's life. It's just, it's just sad to see that. They've, they've never grown up and taken ownership for their life and, and seen their need for the wisdom of God. And, and, and it's just disheartening to see that. You've got to start the journey. You've got to start the journey. And so that's the, the starting place. The, that, that's where the lifetime of wisdom begins. Secondly... Once you start the journey, you've got to avoid pitfalls and wrong turns. How many of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? Anybody ever read that book? Well, a good number of you. Great. If you haven't read that book, I highly encourage it. You can go to Lifeway, and they have the, the old English version, uh, which is a little bit more difficult to read. They have some updated versions. But it is an excellent book about the journey of, of, a, of, of a Christian. And there's a lot in there about pitfalls and wrong turns and things that, that lead us astray. But look what it says in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it, and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. So the writer, the writer here, Solomon, is saying, once you start the journey, you begin to acquire wisdom, and God begins to renew your mind, now it's time for you to be on guard so you don't get sidetracked or waylaid. You avoid pitfalls and wrong turns. Now, what are pitfalls and wrong turns? Pitfalls, this is in your notes, pitfalls are dangers that wisdom helps us to avoid. Look in verse 12. If you're walking in wisdom, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. So if you're walking in wisdom, you won't stumble or fall down when you meet those pitfalls. So a pitfall is anything that can make you stumble and impede your progress in your Christian journey. Dangers that, that wisdom will help you to avoid. And so let me give you some examples. A get-rich-quick scheme is a pitfall. If you just do this, then, then you will, you know, you'll, you'll get rich. You know, if you do this or do that, then, you know, you'll have money coming in, and that's all you have to... You know, I love these, you know, when I'm listening to talk radio and they have these commercials like, you can, you can make, you know, 
$100,000 a month, and you don't even have to, have to leave your house. And all you have to do is turn on your computer. Do you like to surf the Internet? If you like to surf the Internet, then you can get rich surfing the Internet. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Get rich quick schemes. But see, wise people avoid that kind of stuff. Wise people know that if something sounds too good to be true, what? It is. It's too good. My, that's one of my first things I remember my dad teaching me. Wait, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. And, and, and wise people don't fall hook, line, and sinker for that kind of foolishness. The Bible, we're going to see it as we proceed through Proverbs, the Bible warns us about this, this desire to try to just get rich and find the right scheme and find the right deal. Wisdom helps you avoid those, those pitfalls, those, those dangers that could really uh, affect your life. So we need to be wise so we can avoid those pitfalls. And, and they're, they're just everywhere, just all kinds of crazy stuff out there, and we need to be on guard. Secondly, wrong turns are, listen to this, willful decisions. This is different than pitfalls. These are willful decisions to ignore God's wisdom and do ungodly things. So a pitfall is you're running along, and because you're not wise, you, 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 you know, before you know it, you're flat on your face, you messed up, you could have avoided it, but, but you didn't. That's a pitfall. Uh, a wrong turn is when you say, you know what? I, I know who these folks represent. I know what who God represent. I know what God's all about. But I'm going to choose to go with these folks, even though they're going in an ungodly direction. That is a wrong turn. Look what it says in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence and so here's what he's saying if you're going to to avoid those folks that can lead you astray you need to walk in wisdom so you can avoid those wrong turns so what are some some examples of wrong turns maybe you have a co-worker that encourages you to cheat on your expense report everybody's doing it so you know just Turn in more mileage than you really took, or turn in a meal that wasn't really business related, or you know, you know, just fudge on your expense. Everybody's doing it. It's a perk of the company. They don't check that stuff. And you have someone telling you to not do the right thing. You got to make a decision, right? Will I do it or will I not do it? Will I go with this person that that lacks integrity and make a poor decision? Wisdom says no. I'll not go that direction. Young people, I, young people, you have a friend that says, uh, hey, you know what? If you want that new whatever, that new MP3 player, uh, then just take it. Go in there. I'll show you how to do it. I've done it before. Just lift it. Most of the young people I've come across that have been caught shoplifting the first time were with a friend that was more experienced, that encouraged them to do it. And, and so when, when someone says, okay, you can, you can do this thing, and you say, no, that's the, that's the wrong decision. No, wisdom says, I, I'm not going to do that. that that's, a, that's, a, that's a wrong turn. You have an old boyfriend or girlfriend that pops up on Facebook and wants to reestablish contact. That's a wrong turn. And wisdom says, ignore. Right? Yeah. I'll go into that more next week. Wisdom says, ignore. That's, a, that's an unwise decision. That's a, that's a wrong turn. It could be someone leading you astray. And so we need to avoid pitfalls and wrong turns once we begin the journey. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be on the lookout for those 
things, and wisdom will help you to do that. If you're walking in the wisdom of God, letting God uh, speak into your life, shape you, mold you with His Word and with His Spirit, then you will avoid some of those crazy pitfalls and those wrong turns that will destroy your life. Third, how do you experience a lifetime of wisdom? You stay focused on the path. You stay focused on the right path. You avoid the wrong path. You stay focused on the right path. Now, this involves several things, more than several things. One, two, three, four, five, six. Involves six things. And this is a great passage. Chapter 4. Look at the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 20. First of all, this involves your ears. By the way, this is a great passage to teach to, to young to children, grandchildren, because it, it's, it's, it's easy to illustrate. Ears, eyes, you know. So, it, it, it involves your ears. If you're going to stay on the right path, you've got to be careful with your ears. Look what it says in verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So if we're going to stay on the right path, we've got to listen to the right stuff. Right? Now, we are bombarded with noise all day long. And bombarded with messages and bombarded with worldviews and bombarded with opinions and bombarded with views and bombarded with ideas. And, and we're just bombarded. And, and if we don't turn our ear, incline our ear to hear the right things, then the wrong things will eventually influence us. Eventually. I like to say that your ears, along with your eyes, we'll talk about that in a moment, your ears are a gate into your mind. What are you allowing into that gate? What are you allowing to take root in uh, your mind? I mean, what, what's, what's going on in there? What, what, what's happening? What are you listening to? What is shaping your idea? Your ideas. What is shaping your values? What is shaping your worldview? What is shaping your behavior? What is shaping your thought life? We've got to be careful with our ears. If you're going to stay on the right path, you've got to listen to good, edifying stuff. All right? So you need to be listening to the Word of God. You need to be listening to Bible teachers teaching you the Word of God. You need to be listening to edifying music that does not, that does not cause you to stumble, but cause you to think great, noble thoughts. You need to listen to the right things with your ears listen to me don't underestimate this this is so very important when, when i was a teenager um i i don't think my parents were careful enough with what i listened to they kind of had a broad idea but they weren't checking close enough i can tell you they weren't and 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 i and i, I think about some things i listened to when i was a when i was a teenager just terrible i mean just i mean just just terrible things i listened to it's, it's not going to turn out good. If you're listening to that kind of stuff, I mean, you, you, it's not giving you what you need in your mind to make the right decisions. And so we've got to be careful what we listen to with our ears around our home. We, we've got to be so on guard with our ear gate. Secondly, this involves your eyes. Your eyes. Look in verse 21. Incline your ear to my sayings, his wisdom, his word. Do not let them depart from your sight. From your sight. Then look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. So we've got we've to fix our eyes in the right direction. We should not allow things through our eye gate that are damaging. All right? We should fix our eyes on Jesus. The Bible says, Hebrews 12, too, my favorite passage. We should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We should fix our eyes on his word and his way and his will. We should, we, we should be very, very careful with our 
eyes. My brother, he's a computer science major, and so he's on the computer all the time. He teaches, uh, he's a professor in, co- in a college now and teaches computer science. And, and because he's on the, the, the computer all the time, he has, a little, he has a little plaque that he made that's right above, it sits on the top of his monitor. And it's a quote from Psalm 101. It says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Just a reminder, I'm on the computer, I'm on the internet, and, and I've, I've got to be careful with what I allow before my eyes. Are you careful with what you're allowing your eyes to look at? Because if you let things through your eye gate that are unholy and unwholesome, they will get embedded in your mind and begin to lead you astray. And I'm telling you that uh, pornography is a real real issue in our culture today. And, and listen to me, it's not just enough to say, well, I've got a, a filter on my computer at home. Think about smartphones and iPads and all that kind of stuff. We, we got, a, uh, got a, a boy in our neighborhood, he's, he's just a little guy. He's, he's, I think he's seven, maybe eight. And he's got, a, he's got an iPod Touch, which connects to the Internet. And once he gets on the Internet, he can go to Google, type in whatever he wants to type in, and it, up it comes. The other day, he was asking for our, our uh, wireless password so he could get on the, the Internet at our house and, and surf the Internet on his, on, his, on his little device and show my kids whatever comes up. And I'm, you can pull up anything on that phone or that iPod Touch that you can pull up on a computer screen, anything. So just think about that. And think about the age that our kids are being exposed to this. And what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm saying there, you, there's some things you can put in place, but we've got to be careful and stop being so naive. It's so naive. We've, we've got to be on guard with our eyes. Got to have some standards to set no worthless thing before my eyes. I've got a, a pastor friend that is, uh, he's a, an, a, my accountability partner. And every Thursday morning we meet, and he asks me about my viewing habits. What have, I, what have I set before my eyes? What have I looked at on the internet? What have I looked at? On, in movies and TV? Am I being careful with my eye gate? And I know that question's coming every week, and he knows I'm going to ask him the same question. And then when we're through asking all the questions, the last question is, have you been completely honest with me? Might not be a bad idea for you to have someone like that in your life that says, hey, uh, how, how are your viewing habits? This, how, how are your viewing habits? Everybody else went to bed. You were surfing through the channels. You know, you're on the Internet a lot. I'm telling you, if you're on the Internet, and I'm on the Internet a lot because I like to be informed and, and it's some, a tool for ministry and a tool to stay connected and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, you don't have to go looking for stuff. and It'll come looking for you. I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And so we've got to be very, very careful with our eyes because, again, just like our ears, our eyes are a gateway into our mind, really a gateway into our soul. You say, wait, so wait you're overreacting. You think so? What, what's happening in our society? I mean, we're morally collapsing. Am I overreacting? Or is that what's happening? I'm going to talk about this some Sunday, uh, you know, about sexual morality. We, we, are, we are collapsing. And, and, and conservative, listen, conservative surveys say, says that 80% of men in your average church view pornography regularly. 80%. That's one of the, the statistics out there. You say, well, that's not true. I don't know. I don't know. 
We need that accountability in our lives. And so we need to stay focused on the path. Uh, we need to be careful with our eyes. Secondly, or third, we've got to involve our heart. Look in chapter 4, verse 4. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Let your heart hold fast my words. He mentions there the heart. Look what he says in verse 21. Do not let them depart from your sight, his teachings. Keep them in the midst of your what? Of your heart. Look in verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, in the Hebrew mindset, the heart represented the inner part of man. It represented his intellect, his emotions, his will. I mean, basically, when, it, when a Hebrew person mentions your heart, it's talking about everything that, that drives you on the inside, your inner man, all right? Now, in our culture today, we spend a lot of time focusing on the outer man, right? How much do I weigh? What do I wear? You know, a lot of time on the outer man. Proverbs says we need to focus on the inner man, the inner woman. We need to focus on our heart because the heart is the wellspring of life. That means it's the source for what comes out of our life. How you talk comes from your heart. How you think comes from your heart. How you act comes from your heart. So I don't believe that. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. what Jesus says in verse 18. Jesus speaking here says, The things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So he's talking to the Pharisees, and they're saying, listen, if you're going to be right with God, you've got to wash your hands before your meal or have your ceremonial washings. And Jesus is saying, okay, wash your hands, but you're missing the point. What makes you dirty is not your hands. What makes you dirty is your heart. Address your inner man. That's what Jesus is saying. The Holman Bible Dictionary says, as the center of physical life, the heart came to stand for the person as a whole. It became the focus for all the vital functions of the body, including both intellectual and spiritual life. And so the heart represents our, our inner person. And here's the bad news about that. The Bible says that all of us have fallen, corrupted hearts. The Bible says, I didn't make that up. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's just the Bible. So here's God's plan. I love the new covenant. God forgives us for all the evil that came from our evil heart. And then when he saves us, you know what he does? He gives us a brand new heart. Isn't that cool? A brand new heart. A, a, he makes us a new person, a, a regenerated heart to begin to help us to live a life that honors God. So God gives you a, a heart transplant at the moment of conversion, the moment you're saved. He forgives you for all the stuff you've done, but he gives you a brand new heart to help you to go in a new direction in your life. He transforms you. But, listen, even though we have a new heart, there's still the old flesh that God's allowed to remain until we get to heaven, our old sin nature. And if we're not careful, that old sin nature will creep up and take root in our heart and begin to lead us to do evil things. And so Solomon says, guard 
your heart. It's the source for how you act, what you do, what you say. Guard your heart. Now let me show you a good example of not guarding your heart. And it comes from the man that gave this command in Proverbs 4. It comes from Solomon. I want to show you how Solomon failed to heed his own advice. Look in 1 Kings 11 with me. First Kings chapter 11. Look in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods, after their gods. So God said, Don't, don't, don't mess with these women from pagan nations. They'll turn your heart away. So wisdom says, okay, God, you've got a point. I'm going to listen to you and guard my heart. What did Solomon do? Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives, watch this, turned his what? His heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wife turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord as God, as the heart of David his father had been. Look in verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. That's the paradox of Solomon. When God appears to him and says, what do you want me to give you? Solomon says, give me discernment so I can lead this great people of yours. And so God is, is pleased with that request, and God gives him wisdom, the greatest uh, amount of wisdom that anyone that ever walked on the earth had to that point. He was the wisest man to ever walk on the face of the earth other than Jesus, and, and yet he doesn't live according to that wisdom. He does not guard his heart. Because he doesn't guard his heart, sin takes root and begins to lead him to the pathway of destruction. We've got to guard our heart. And make sure that our heart is focused daily on the Lord. And make sure that, that, that King Jesus is sitting on the throne of our hearts every day. And so back in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Are you guarding your heart? Here's this next thing that staying focused on the path involves. Your lips. Look in verse 24. Verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. So if you're going to stay on the right path, you're going to stay focused on the right path, you've got to pay attention to your lips. David prayed. I think it's Psalm 141, somewhere in there. David prayed, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Guard my lips. How many of you have ever had your mouth get you into trouble? Raise your hand. Yeah. Absolutely. James says that the tongue is, is uh, like a poison, like a forest fire. It's like a, a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. It's small, but it can, it can turn you in the direction it wants you to go. And, and, and all of us have experienced saying deceitful things or evil things 
or disparaging things or discouraging things or sarcastic things. We're all guilty of, of tearing down rather than building up. We're all guilty of misleading with our mouth, with our lips. And, and, and Proverbs says, if you want to stay on the right path, you've got to be careful about what you say. You need to ask the Lord to, to put a guard over your mouth because your lips, your tongue can get you into trouble. Next, your mind. Your mind. My son, verse 20, Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. That phrase, give attention, is key. Now look in verse 26. Watch the path of your feet. That word watch is an interesting word. It literally means to weigh out. That's what the word means in Hebrew. Uh, the, the ESV and the KJV use the word ponder. A major part of godliness lies in, in, in attentiveness to familiar truths. It's what Derek Kidner writes. And so if we're going to stay on the right path, we've got to ponder the right path in our mind. We've got to ponder the right thing in our mind. Turn to Psalm 101. Turn to Psalm 101. Psalm of David. I want to show you this. how David thinks through this. He says, verse 2, Psalm 101, verse 2, I will give heed to the blameless way. I'll, I'll meditate. I'll ponder on the right way. I'm going to think about the right way to live. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. There's the, the, the verse. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I, I will know no evil. And so, David's saying there that I'm going, to, I'm going to give heed to, I'm going to think about the right path. And so if we're going to stay focused on the right path, we've got to think through, we've got to let our mind be shaped by God's truth and shaped by God's word so that we can think the right way about the right direction in life. You know, some folks make poor decisions because they just don't know any better. And they don't know any better because they don't want to know better. They never started the journey of wisdom. And because they didn't start the journey of wisdom, they don't have the, the, the information they need, and they make poor decisions. Poor decisions. And so we need, to, we need to think about God's truth and think about the right way to go in life. It needs to be part of our mind. And then last, your feet. Your feet. Look what it says in verse uh, Proverbs 4, verse 26. Proverbs 4, verse 26. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So we need to walk, watch where our feet go is what he's saying there. If you want to stay on the right path, we've got to watch where we are going. Make sure your feet don't go down the wrong path. Make sure your feet don't walk with the wrong people. Uh, the Bible says, Proverbs says, that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. How true is that? How true is that? And so we've got to make sure our feet are going to the right places, taking, our, uh, taking us to the right places with the right people and not going down dangerous, immoral paths. Uh, watch your feet so you can stay on the right path. So we've got to stay focused on the path. This involves your ears, eyes, heart, lips, mind, feet. It involves all of who you are to stay focused on the path. Let me give you one more statement and we'll be through. We've got to keep the end goal in mind. If you want to 
live a lifetime of wisdom. You've got to start the journey. You've got to avoid pitfalls and wrong turns. You've got to stay focused on the path. But fourth, you've got to keep the end goal in mind. Look in verse 18 of Proverbs 4. Love this verse. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So the contrast here is between the path of the righteous and the path of the evil. And he talks about the evil path in the previous verses. He said, don't proceed in the way of evil men. Don't go down that, that wrong path with them. It will lead to destruction. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. shines brighter and brighter until the full day. In other words, we need to consider the end result of a lifetime of wisdom. The Lord says, if you live a wise life, it'll be like the, the, the sun rising up, the, the sun dawning on a new day. If you live a wise life, God will give you more and more light for your path. And instead of walking in darkness, you'll walk in the light of God. You'll have his, his protection. You'll have his direction. You'll have his provision in your life. That's the end result of a lifetime of wisdom. It gets you to the right place. But we need to consider the end result of a lifetime of foolishness. The opposite of that is also true. If we go down the wrong path, we will be destroyed by that. So we need to consider the end result. Where, listen, where do you want your life to end up? What, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want people to remember you when you're gone? You want them to remember you as someone that lived a godly life of wisdom or someone that lived an ungodly life of foolishness that left destruction in your wake. However you want to end up, should affect how you live today. Keep the end goal in mind. I like what Warren Wiersbe writes. He writes, if we're walking in the way of wisdom, God promises to protect our path, direct our path, and perfect our path. I like that. All folly can offer us is danger, detours, and disappointments, ultimately leading to death. It shouldn't be too difficult to make the right choice. Let me read that again. If we're walking in the way of wisdom, God promises to protect our path, direct our path, and perfect our path. All folly can offer us is danger, detours, and disappointments, ultimately leading to death. It shouldn't be too difficult to make the right choice. So we've got to keep the end goal in mind. What do we want to accomplish with our life? Whatever we, wherever we want to get to, we've got to be going the right direction today. We've got to build it into our life today. Keep the end goal in mind. So those are just some pointers from Proverbs about how to be not a shooting star that shines brightly then fades, but being someone that is, is a fixed star in the heavens, that, that shines light until the Lord takes you home. And we want to have a lifetime of wisdom.